Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast. As heard on 98.7 FM in LA, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast, 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org on iTunes, streaming on the Progressive Voices channel on Netroots Radio Indie Media Weekly FYI Nation, Radio or Not Radio Free Brooklyn Fine Affiliates in Parts Unknown and of course Radio Sputnik five days a week I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me, if not you, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another thrilling, action-packed adventure. Yes, it is our special coverage of the CNBC Republican debate uh, in Boulder, Colorado, as uh, took place, as was screamed to us all on uh, on Wednesday night. Glad you could join us for this today. We've got a, a, a great panel of guests, as usual, for our uh, for our debate coverage. And you know what? We got so much to cover, so much to make sense of. From all of that nonsense uh, on on Wednesday night, that let's get right to it. Uh, joining us uh, so far, uh, she has been joining us after every single debate this season. We'll see how long she can continue to stand it. Uh, but joining us is uh, Heather Digby Parton, also known as uh, Just Digby from Digby's Hullabaloo blog. She's a contributing writer at Salon and the 2014 recipient of the Sydney Hillman Foundation Prize. For opinion and analysis journalism, we will get some of that prized opinion and analysis journalist uh, journalism today. Hey, Heather, welcome back to the broadcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Brad. Always great to have you here. Always great that I know I can rely on you to make sense of whatever the madness is that goes on in these debates. No, uh-huh. no. I think you may be a little optimistic. I was going to say, <laughs> no pressure, no pressure, <laughs> but uh, you just have to make sense of all of that nonsense. Also, okay. <laughs> good luck to you. Also uh, joining us today, uh, I, boy, I haven't talked to uh, this guy for many years uh, on the air. Glad he can join us today. John Tomasic. He was uh, formerly the editor at Pop and Politics and managing editor at Off the Bus, the Huffington Post's path-breaking 2008 citizen journalism presidential election uh, project. He was then the editor at the Colorado Independent. He is now a reporter for the Colorado Statesman. Oh, John Tomasic, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hi, Brad. Great to be here. Hi, Heather. Great to have you both here. All right, John, uh, let me start with you because you were on the ground 
uh, yesterday, and uh, I reported uh, some of what you sent to me via email before the uh, before the debate took place. You said it was kind of crazy on the ground there before the uh, before the debate, at least crazy for a GOP debate. You wrote that it was. Uh, quote, just odd that this bunch of candidates at this point in U.S. history are debating in Boulder. There was a plane circling above, trailing a banner that read Bush and Rubio Coke puppets. The nation's top climate research center ringed the campus. A pot shop a few blocks away is hosting a tour for the candidates. Uh, and then you added, if Rand Paul can make a splash here, well, then, where and when? So all of which is begging the question as to why Republicans would even hold a debate in the liberal mecca that is Boulder, Colorado. Any idea why they did choose Boulder? Did you get a sense of that from talking to folks on the ground before the uh, debate last night? I-, I talked to a lot of people about that, and it was all shrouded in mystery. Um, some of the people I talked to said, you know, it's a swing state, mm-hmm. and this is our flagship campus, and so... This is the place to have it. Um, but I then talked to some students who actually did a freedom of information request mm. and from the university and said, you know, uh, give us everything, all the communications about how you went about recruiting or, you know, mm-hmm. putting your name in, putting, our, putting us up for this thing. Right. And, um, and they said what they got back was sort of banal. And, you know, there was no conspiracy. They thought maybe they'd find that, the president of the university, Bruce Benson, who's an oil man and a conservative in the state, um, you know, that maybe he pulled some strings or one thing or another. But they said it seemed like it was much more naive, and in their words, and um, but disturbing on another level, in that you know the public institutions, especially higher ed in Colorado, have been starved of cash. Mm-hmm. No tax money is going there these days, and uh, they said it was just part of this. They really seemed like they just wanted the publicity, that they thought it was a great opportunity to advance the brand of CU Boulder. And, um, and they said, you know, this, was what, this is what was disturbing about it, that, you know, you've got a public institution, mm-hmm. and it, this kind of quest for cash or this kind of quest for publicity, this kind of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. entering into the commercial market leads you down some weird paths. And this is the same university that recently got in trouble for taking money from the oil and gas money and to do fracking research. D- and, um, and so they're saying, you know, this is a kind of, of a piece, or at least that's mm-hmm. what they thought. And um, that's as much as I can tell you about why Boulder, why liberal Boulder, the People's Republic of Boulder, would host a Republican <laughs> primary campaign well, well, with a bunch of climate deniers. I don't know. It was weird. Well, uh, John uh, Tomasic, do, uh, who, who makes money? I mean, I know they obviously uh, get publicity, uh, publicity out of it, theoretically good publicity, but... Uh, how does do you have any idea how the money works? Do they make money? Does the RNC or the C uh, or CNBC actually give them money uh, to use their campus for this event? Uh, I, I'm not even clear how it works. On CNBC before the debate, they were talking about the regents of uh, of uh, UC Boulder that some five out of nine of them, I guess, are Republicans. Any idea how that works? How the money flows here, or does this actually cost money for uh, for UC Boulder? I would love to see the the bottom line, but I know that the Republican National Committee rented the core center, the the event center where it was held. Okay. Um, so that's the money coming in. What it costs as far as security, who pays all that? Um, I mean, the whole half of the campus was blocked off. You know. Yeah. Was, 
a grand public disruption, the streets of Boulder were blocked off. I don't know. You know, I, I can't imagine that the cost for the course center uh, covers all that. But right. does CNBC pay for a lot of that? I don't know. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you know, college football, they make a lot of money from the uh, from the networks. I just wonder how, how that works. You also said, John, that there was a uh, – well, you sent a photo of the – uh, the free speech zone before the debate had it with a huge uh, Trump puppet, a uh, huge inflatable elephant with the giant word racist on it. Uh, is there any chance that anybody uh, actually saw or heard any of that so-called free speech? And how far from the actual venue was that, John? Uh, that was in a field across from the venue. Mm-hmm. But when you're in the venue, you know, the venue is like up on a hill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a fortress. <laughs> and so, yeah. so there's no noise, there's no sound, there's nothing. Um, and it was, and this free speech zone, quote, quote, was, it was rung round with police tape and police, you know, standing guard. And I don't know, you know this just seems so antithetical to the bolder spirit. that, um, mm. uh, And, you know, and, and how everyone imagines politics in a democracy should work. But, you know, we've seen this for years now, that, Free speech zones are just part part and parcel with our politics. But um, I don't think anyone inside the debate, as it was happening, was aware of really what was going on, other than through their Twitter accounts mm-hmm. and um, and their Facebook and so on. And the media the next day it made for great photos, so they did they did get some media attention. Heather Digby Parton, uh, I'm I'm watching uh, the pre-debate coverage. And uh, it occurs to me, wow, CNBC is kind of even nuttier than Fox News, wing nuttier, I should say, than Fox News. Uh, The pre-debate was all about, uh, you know, cutting taxes. It seemed like that was all that mattered to the CNBC anchors. They just sort of took for granted, you know, Bernie Sanders, uh, he's going to destroy the, uh, the world with his socialism. I mean... This is baked in the cake at CNBC. Josh Marshall said the CNBC debate really is more rooted in the right-wing id and the bubble of extreme wealth than the Fox debate by a mile, he said. Uh, what, do you, what do you think on that? I was surprised. Maybe I just forgot how wing-nutty this whole CNBC operation is. Uh, well, I, you know, I, wasn't, I, I wasn't surprised. I, I actually expected it. What surprised me was the fact that they CNBC is now considered, you know, an army of <laughs> an arm of the uh <laughs> of the communist, you know, the American yes. Communist Party. Uh-huh. I mean the the reviews after, you know, of the of the debate, I mean it was liberal media and these people they are hostile to the Republican Party and I'm going, "Who are you talking about? This right. is this is CNBC for crying out loud." I mean, they they absolutely are convinced now that they were, in fact, I, I can't remember who it was. It was one of the, uh, I think it was Richard Grinnell, you know, uh, he's a, who's a Republican operative, uh, mm-hmm. on Twitter was saying, well, obviously MSNBC has had a tremendous influence <laughs> on CNBC. <laughs> uh, Bill O'Reilly said that, that you know, if they were doing, it, doing the bidding of their corporate masters. He knows the culture over there at yeah. CNBC, and they were getting attaboys from the, from the big boys at the top, and I'm going, you know, these Republicans are just, they are literally now living in an alternate universe. This is, just, this is bizarre. I mean, CNBC, the hosts were, 
were definitely aggressive, and you can make an argument that they were terrible moderators, mm-hmm. but the idea they were coming from some liberal perspective and that this was some kind of a liberal conspiracy is just hilarious, because they are, they are truly, if you watch them during the daytime at all, and I try not to unless the markets are crashing, but every <laughs> once in a while I do, and they are as right-wing as it gets. Rick Santelli, who was there last night, one of the moderators, uh, was the guy who, you know, is given credit for sparking the Tea Party. Tea Party, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I find it I find it very surprising that that the re, that they're getting away with this particular reaction to what has obviously now in retrospect and to those of us watching at the time recognized was a very bad debate pretty much and they're blaming the media for it but CNBC wingnut as it gets. I mean, these guys, you know, I mean, I think it's only Newsmax TV or OAN mm-hmm. that is any more right-wing than they are. Yeah, and they, uh, they're they not only uh, blaming them, and there's plenty to, the CNBC moderators were in many respects pretty terrible, but anything but liberal. I mean, that was just, that, but yet that's how they make money, the Republicans do. Ted yeah. Cruz put out an email uh, to me. He sent me an email uh, calling me friend, so I know that he means it. <laughs> he said, I am declaring war on the liberal media, and I need to ask you a personal favor. Uh, will you chip in 5 or $50, blah, blah, blah? Here's a few choice questions they asked last night. He goes on and on about declaring war on the liberal media agenda, uh, any chance, uh, Heather, that uh, you know they knew what they were getting into going into this thing, <laughs> that they hate NBC? Uh, well, they hate MSNBC, so they take that and they blame you know, anything that comes out of N- NBC News itself. That's the fault of liberal MSNBC, and now you can throw CNBC into that p- uh, pack of uh, a bunch of liberal commies. Oh, and never mind that... Uh, morning Joe is on for four hours of right-wing talk every morning. Uh, any chance they knew what they were doing and this was sort of just uh, meant to, uh, to, to help their uh, attacks on, on the entire NBC outfit? Well, you know, normally I am cynical enough to believe that they thought this through ahead of time and decided that they were going to attack the liberal media as a a strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I didn't get that sense last night, to be honest. Uh, I mean, I felt like what they were unhappy about was, and and I think think it was, they were legitimately unhappy about this. I didn't get the sense that it was an act, that they were unhappy that these CNBC moderators were being aggressive and, you know, it's actually somewhat rude to them. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that these people just, that is just unacceptable. <laughs> you know, you just don't do that. You're not rude to these people. But and they, they certainly expect reporters to be, you know, they wanted to just do their thing and, and be able to, to uh, you know, filibuster. And they didn't like the fact that they were being interrupted and that the questions were sort of setting them up against each other and, and all of that. So in my view, and I have, you know, I'm, this is just my, my observation, mm-hmm. I thought that what they did was just reflexively fall back on the liberal media charge. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, it's so, it, it, they are so indoctrinated in this particular argument that I think it's very easy for them all to do it. Now, there is one exception to this, and he's, and it's Ted Cruz, who basically had what appeared to be, I, I could see the cogs in his brain turning on this, where he saw an opportunity to turn this into a, you know, full-blown, victimized, 
Mm-hmm. You know, you're victimizing all of us. And in a weird way, they have this, you know, they had this big group hug. You know, oh, look, we were all so, we were all treated so badly. And, yes, you think we all hate each other, but really we don't. You know, it's just, it's that, those awful liberals and that terrible media. And, and Cruz very deftly did that. He called out each of them by name. And, you know, he's a very, very... A skilled debater, and he ha- and he has a and he's very smart, frankly, a little nuts, but smart. A little, and he, uh, yeah, they're a lot yeah. nuts, but but a smart nut. Um, and he 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 was able to kind of take that moment and sort of shift the whole momentum in the debate. I thought. Let me so uh, I didn't think it was planned. I felt like it was more uh, Cruz taking advantage of an opportunity that he saw and then everybody running with it. I was going to play that clip a little bit later uh, in the program, but let's go ahead and and play that now and then I'll get uh, John Tomasic's thought on it. Here was uh, Ted Cruz after really just um, a a few rounds of questioning that wasn't particularly hostile other than uh, the moderators, the CNBC moderators, John Harwood, Becky Quick and Carl Quintanilla. Uh, is that how you say it? How do you say it? Oh, I forgot to introduce Desi Doyen is here with us as well, our producer Desi Doyen. How do you say it? Yeah, I'm here. It's Quintanilla. Quintanilla. And he actually used to be here in L.A. He was Carlos Quintanilla. Right? Back when he was oh, in he Los was. Angeles. Yes. He was Carlos. He was Carlos. Now he's Carl. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, okay, so he, here was after a round of questions where they were not particularly rude, but they did try anyway to keep them to uh, 30 seconds. Here was Ted Cruz's, uh, the cogs that... Digby is talking about turning in congressional Republicans, Democrats and the White House are about to strike a compromise that would raise the debt limit. Does your opposition to it show that you're not the kind of problem solver American voters want? You know, let me debate, illustrate why the American people don't trust the media. This is not a cage match. And you look at the questions, Donald Trump, are you a comic book villain? Ben Carson, can you do math? John Kasich, will you insult two people over here? Marco Rubio, why don't you resign? Jeb Bush, why have your numbers fallen? How about talking about the substantive issues people care about? And the crowd goes crazy. Uh, that was Ted Cruz uh, last night taking good advantage of the, uh, you know, bringing the media back into the fold as the favorite villain for the Republican Party. John Tomasic, you were in, were, were actually, were you inside the hall or were you shuffled into some uh, press room last night uh, at, at the debate? And, and what was the mood like in the hall uh, before and, uh, well, with something like that, when the crowd goes crazy, is what sense did you get being on the ground there? <laughs> we were all in the spin room. Um, okay. It was a thousand people, mostly like uh, state lawmakers and politicos that were on the floor and 150 students. So um, what the mood on the floor was like, I can't really tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is an enormous right. sports arena. And I went in beforehand before the crowd showed up, and the part where they were actually holding the debate was this tiny section on the floor of the basketball court, <laughs> and there were a thousand seats rung around that were beat, that were empty. Which but, is we talked about that yesterday on the show that the uh, the students were complaining they only got originally fifty tickets, then they said, okay, you can have hundred and fifty tickets. Thousands of seats went empty. What was that about, John? Well, that's, yeah, that's another whole question and a subject for um, many protests, small protests the weeks before the event. Um, that's, they're still playing ping pong on that. You know, CNBC is, is mom, 
the RNC is saying, you know, we only got so many tickets because CNBC said it was an event that was planned for uh, a lot of uh, TV audience. Uh-huh. This was a mediated spectacle, uh-huh. and a live audience will only disrupt. And so, you know, please understand. Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> That's what they said. Sean Spicer was the RNC person that said that. A live audience will disrupt. And um, I talked to a CU uh cut some of the CU students at once said something like, you know, well, yeah, that sounds about right. You know, media, uh, politics is just a media spectacle now anyway. It's, it's built, it's done the same way as entertainment, and it's, it's, it's not meant for public engagement. Uh, a, li- and, a, a live audience, perhaps, of, of bolder students that they are afraid are going to cause a <laughs> disruption. I mean, is that basically what it comes down to, John? Uh, you know, you draw your own conclusions, Brad. I, I think that's may be safe to say. Okay. Uh, um, but I did, you know, that was ringing in my head when I was there in the quote, quote, spin room, which, by the way, if mm-hmm. you think of yourself as a journalist at all and you find yourself in a spin room, you know, it's probably <laughs> not a great, probably, you know, you're in the wrong, you're doing it wrong. You know? Exactly, right. <laughs> you're in a cage. You can't leave because you're not able to come back in. Right. And they, they've trapped you in the spin room, you know, the liberal media. Um, yeah. But, I think Digby was Heather was right about this thing where there was the the early criticism of you know Harwood came out very strong and they didn't like that you know they saw what was happening but it took but at first it was just like hey that's not a very fair question I don't like the way you pose that question Trump said or something like that but but Cruz was watching and and Heather was exactly right you could see the wheels turning and when when, when it came his time and he actually got a substantive question. He already knew what he was going to say, and he, mm-hmm. and he unloaded. And um, yeah, he's very crafty, and yeah, he's a good debater. And but I think I think Heather was also right about there's no other way to criticize the media than to say the liberal media. You know, I mean, like there were other criticisms to level at these moderators. Yeah, I was going to say I could come up with other ways to criticize the media. <laughs> right, a million. Right, right. But this is just the instinctual way that that. This is how they talk among each other, I right. think. And so this is just how it rolls off the lips. And you heard, you heard the cheers. Yeah. So um, I, I found myself, you know, you're in the spin room, and everyone's really dressed up. You know, they've got makeup on, and their hair is done up. And, and you see that it's just it's so much about celebrities. And I was thinking about what this, these students were saying about, you know, it's not about public engagement. And there was something about CNBC doing it, and like Josh Marshall said, it's like so high-end. It's all mm-hmm. about like this high-end thing. And no expense is spared in the spin room. You know, there's a thousand flat screens, and there's a laptop on every table, and it's just this high-end media thing. And it's, and it's this mix, because the way, it's, the way CNBC, the moderators were asking the questions, it seemed to me were like, I, I was just thinking, how would you do this differently? And I was thinking, it could be, there should be some kind of uh, 60s thing where, you're like, you, you make it a happening where, you know, you go and pin questions to their shirts or something, or you, you tickle the candidates, you know, where, where there's some kind of engagement, because this was a combination of, like, mass media era, where they're all just talking to the screen. And so you can get away with all kinds of stuff, and they're used to doing that. You're well, just talking to a screen, not to people. But it's also like the Twitter age. But Twitter can be intimate. But, but the questions were like, it's not a debate. Let's ask them one question. 
and we'll either say whether we like it or not, but we won't follow it up. We won't develop. Well, it yeah, no, they did. Not only did they, unravel. Not yeah. only did they not follow it up, they didn't let them talk to each other. Uh, that would have been a good way to criticize uh, the quote best team in business, which is, by the way, because uh, this was supposed to be focused on the economy. Uh, it was uh, certainly not the best team for the great middle American middle class. Because they asked almost no questions about that. Apparently, they didn't give a damn. I got to take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about that more. And then we'll get into a whole bunch of clips and, uh, and uh, scraps and fights between these guys. Because, you know, that's all that America really wants is to see them fight. Take a quick break here. We'll be back with Heather Digby Parton and John Tomasic uh, on the uh, Boulder CNBC GOP debate. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. Stay tuned. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Because you know I'm all about that bass, about the bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass. Welcome back. This is your broadcast. Yeah, it was all about the base last night in uh, Boulder, Colorado, at the University of Colorado Boulder, as the uh, Republicans once again went head-to-head in two different debates, a kiddie table debate and a, uh, a main table debate uh, on CNBC. Uh, your money. It was supposed to be about the economy. Uh, Demos uh, tweeted, D- uh, D- the Demos organization said, a debate focused on economics has been going on for over 30 minutes. Not one mention of the working class. West Wing reports noted that CNBC debate is supposed to be about economics. Questions on pot, fantasy put- football, none on energy, infrastructure, or water shortages. David Weigel said, I mean, Jesus, a draft king questions about fantasy football and nothing about Medicaid. Uh, Yeah, they were kind of supposed to be about the economy, but uh, it was mm, almost anything but. I'm here with uh, Heather Digby Parton from Salon, John Tomasic, reporter from the Colorado Statesman. Welcome back, uh, both of you. Uh, oh, and Desi Doyen, our producer. I, <laughs> yeah, I am still yeah, here. here. That's true. Right. Also, I just want to throw in that they, yeah. you know, when they don't talk about climate change yeah. and they don't talk about energy, those are serious economic issues. So the fact that they didn't even really go into the impact that climate change is already having on our economy is a big problem. And no doubt we will be covering that on oh, our yeah. uh, on our next Green News report. Uh, Heather, uh, w- were you surprised that uh, they they didn't seem to be hitting? The mi- the eco- the real economy issues, the middle class issues, or is this just part and parcel for CNBC and it's all about business and that's it? Yeah, what do they know about the economy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, Apparently. really, CNBC is all about Wall Street, uh, basically, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and business. And I don't think these economic issues are are particular interest. Now, I was a little surprised that John Harwood Harwood wasn't a little more serious about that stuff because he's he's a political reporter. So uh, I would have thought that he would have found a way to kind of get into that with them. But it seemed as though the, the moderators kind of, 
I don't know. They they pretty much lost control of the thing from the very beginning. Right but off the bat. It's, yeah, it's too bad, though, because really it would have been so interesting to hear them, you know, quiz these guys on some very, very specific issues and actually throw some real uh, data at them and see how they handle it. I mean, normally... You throw data at these people. I mean, they tried a little bit with Carson and, and maybe a little bit with, with Fiorina to challenge them. Um, but, they, you know, for the most part, they sort of let them get away with, with um, you know, they, they, having this agenda, which is completely incomprehensible and incoherent economically. I mean, at this point, just simply parroting, you know, it's your money and we're going to lower taxes and cut regulation, uh, that just really isn't, isn't playing even for Republicans, which is probably one reason why Donald Trump is doing well, because he's actually, I mean, as, it, as inane as it is, his view is, you know, the economy's being hurt by immigrants, by illegal immigration, and bad deals that we're making with China and Japan and the rest of the world because our leaders are such babies. Le- and I'll, I'll change all that. Well, I mean, that at least is something, but Le- they didn't even really get into that. Let me uh, get into a little bit that they did get into, and this is sort of one of the few uh, moments when there actually was an exchange between the candidates. I'm playing it largely because uh, last night was seen by many as a uh, as a must. Uh, what do we call it? Not must win, but a must stand out a moment for Jeb Bush and for his wo- uh, woeful candidacy at this point. He and uh, Marco Rubio had an exchange. Uh, some say uh, Jeb got the best of him. Uh, I actually saw that. Others say uh, it was Marco Rubio. Let's let's play a bit of that exchange. Here was uh, they had called out Marco Rubio for missing all of these Senate votes while he's out uh, campaigning. And his own uh, state newspaper in Florida, Sun Sentinel, called him out for this and said, hey, and it was quite brutal and said, hey, if you're not going to do the job of being a senator, why don't you just quit? And uh, Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush had it out on this point. When the Sun Sentinel says Rubio should resign, not rip us off. When they say Floridian sent you to Washington to do a job. When they say you act like you hate your job. Do you? Yeah, let me say, I, I, I read that editorial today with a great amusement. It's actually evidence of the bias that exists in the American media well, today. But do you hate your job? Let me, let me answer your question. In 2004, John Kerry ran for president, missing close to 60 to 70 percent of his votes. I don't recall the Sun In fact, the Sun Sentinel endorsed him. In 2008, Barack Obama missed 60 or 70 percent of his votes, and the same newspaper endorsed him again. So this is another example of the double standard that exists in this country between the mainstream media and the conservative media. Can I, can, I, can I bring something up here? Because I'm a constituent of the senator, and I helped him, and, and I expected that he would do constituent service. But Marco, when you signed up for this, this was a six-year term, and you should be showing up to work. I mean, literally, the Senate, what is it, like a French work week? You get like three days where you have to show up? You can campaign or just resign and let someone else take the job. Well, it's interesting. Over the last few weeks, I've listened to Jeb as he walked around the country and said that you're modeling your campaign after John McCain. Well, let me tell you, I don't remember you ever complaining about John McCain's vote record. The only reason why you're doing it now is because we're running for the same position and someone has convinced you that attacking me is going to help you. Well, I've been Here's the bottom line. I'm not, my campaign is going to be about the future of America. It's not going to be about attacking anyone else on this stage. I will continue to have tremendous admiration and respect for Governor Bush. I'm not running against Governor Bush. I'm not running against anyone on the stage. I'm running for president because there is no way we can elect Hillary Clinton to continue the policies of Barack Obama. Okay. 
well, so, uh, me- well, media bias, an example of media bias, the Sun Sentinel endorsed Marco Rubio, for Christ's sake. John uh, Tomasic, what, what was your take on that exchange? And is, uh, is Jeb in as big trouble as the corporate media seems to be saying at this point? Uh, that was such a sad exchange. Um, you know, watching it unfold, on Twitter someone, I can't remember who it was, they said, you know, Bush is planning this attack and it's going to be, it's going to go over like a, like a lead balloon, <laughs> a lead blimp. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, he knew it in it, advance it, that they were go- yeah. th- this Republican operative said, oh, it's a terrible idea. But Jeb Bush is going to do this attack. It's go-. He actually right. didn't say Jeb Bush. He said one of the candidates is going to do this and it's going to be terrible. And then when it happened, he said he tweeted, uh, yeah, there you go. Told you. <laughs> Told you so. Yeah, right. But it was so canned. You know, it was a canned. Like Rubio knew he was going to get that question. He mm-hmm. was well prepared. He never said that he didn't hate his job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That never came out. That was the one answer he didn't give. And then, you know, Bush turned to him and gave this really canned, you know, lecture mm-hmm. to him. And he was prepared for that as well. So, I mean, Rubio came off better, but did, I, I think there was something about that where, for whatever it's worth, you know, this is how people judge these things, uh, these debates. Rubio seemed to have this very relaxed devil-may-care. Look, this is what I did. This is why I did it. You know, he came off, like, more genuine even though it was canned and he knew it was coming. Whereas Bush looked so planned, and he looked like he was just doing it to get an edge. Uh, Heather, yeah. The room just just sighed at that. Everybody in the room. Uh, Heather, you you focused on uh, on Jeb uh, and his uh, implosion, uh, as as it's described over at Salon. Uh, Was it an implosion? Is he really done at this point? And I I, want to get your thought. You know, he had mentioned McCain. uh, I'm sorry, Rubio mentioned McCain, John McCain and John Kerry missing a lot of Senate votes. Um, They were the nominee as I understand it, when they miss those Senate votes. Uh, Marco Rubio is, is not the nominee, at least not yet. Well, and not only that, I mean, look, there's a perfect answer. Any, any moron could have figured out what to say there, which is, uh, I'm sorry, uh, you know, Marco, I know John McCain, and John McCain and you, sir, are no John McCain. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I mean, come on. It was just that one right over the plate, and he didn't do it. You know, it's like, give me a break. And, and of course, but this is just, a, a, you know, another example of, of Jeb Bush's lameness as a candidate and the fact that I have from the beginning, I've been writing at Salon and, uh, about this for, you know, a year and a half, long before Jeb even really was in, that this guy does not, his heart is not in this. And, uh, you know, the, the other, last weekend, he was up, they had this summit meeting mm-hmm. of all the donors and the Bush family, and there's this, this uh, you know, he, he gave this talk where he's sitting in front of this little statue of Lincoln on, on you know, on his chair. It's really weird, weird kind of <laughs> image. But, you know, he's sitting there and he's talking about... Because it was the same talk. chair. They had they used yeah. the same Lincoln chair to have Jeb Bush sit on right in front of the picture of Lincoln at the Lincoln yeah, Memorial. Yeah, it's just right. so, so weird. I mean, it's yeah. just the whole thing. It just was bizarre. And, and, <laughs> and, and 
Bush is sitting there. I mean, he's clearly just saying, look, this campaign is not what I thought it was going to be. I didn't really want to do it in the first place, but they told me I could win. And now I'm sitting here with these, you know, idiots, Trump and Carson and the rest of this clown show, and I could be doing a lot of cooler things than doing this. If that's what you want, I'm not your guy. He said it. Mm -hmm. I mean, he said it. And I think, and I have felt from the very beginning that this was really where he was. I mean, I felt like he just got sort of railroaded into it by the big money Bush machine, thinking this was a good um, opportunity to, first of all, to redeem the Bush name, which God knows it needed redeeming, and to maybe, if it was going to be Clinton, that this would be the, the right time to do a matchup, that, that, it would, it, that her being in it would somehow um, cancel out the dynasty argument, since it would be both of them, you know, there's no way that the Democrats could use that. You know, whatever the reason was, he got in. I've never thought he really wanted it, and boy, did it show last night. His, you know, I mean, Trump's right. You know, the energy, jeez, it just isn't there. Yeah, he just doesn't seem. He just doesn't seem to care. Yeah, go ahead, John. Oh, I, I just think Heather's right. You know that he he wants to be president. He just does not want to run in the in the election. He doesn't want the campaign, which is amazing to me because didn't he watch the whole Romney campaign? Uh, and everything Romney had to go through? Isn't it the same clown show? It, well, it is the same clown show, and uh, apparently he didn't notice, and he seems depressed by it, and Jeb Bush, and he wants to get out. But uh, then you got John Kasich, who is uh, governor of Ohio, who's taking a different tactic. Uh, let me play a little bit. He, he has been warning. He warned the day before the debate. He said... These people are all crazy. They're lying to you. They're they're uh, you know making promises that are just that make no sense. And he was of course talking about Donald Trump and Ben Carson, and he tried to pick up that same theme last night, embracing the the fact that the rest of the the candidates are kind of nuts. Here was a, a bit uh, from John Kasich, who well here let's play a clip. I'm the only person on this stage that actually was involved in the chief architect of balancing the federal budget. You can't do it with empty promises. You know, these plans would put us trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. You just don't make promises like this. Why don't we just give a chicken in every pot while we're you know, coming, up, coming up with these fantasy tax games? We'll just clean it up. Where are you going to clean it up? This stuff is fantasy, just like getting rid of Medicare and Medicaid. You said yesterday. Come on, that's just not... You don't scare senior citizens with that. It's not responsible. Well, it and he went on to call them uh, kind of crazy. Uh, he's trying to say that he's the adult in this thing. He's not a fantasist. I'll uh, I'll open this up to either of you. Uh, does that work at with this GOP at this point, or or are we far beyond that now? Well, I'll go. I mean, I think you know, I, I the the snap polls that have come out uh, this morning, and then all the online polls. I mean. Mm -hmm for whatever they're worth, show that Kasich really tanked. I mean, only he, only Rand Paul did better than him, which I think is probably going to be seen as a lesson that, you know, perhaps this isn't really going to work, and I don't know why mm. Kasich thought it would. That's too bad. Um, I liked him. It I is liked sad. Yeah. It's sad. You would think that someone could stand up in this crowd and say, look, these people are crazy. But, you know, Kasich is kind of crazy, too, and frankly, he sounded a little crazy when he was saying that. He wasn't, it wasn't a particularly well-thought-out, adult-sounding critique, if you know what I mean. I mean, I think that had he not been so emotional about it and had been a little bit more, uh, you know, mature in his delivery, 
that it might have had a different effect, although, you know, truthfully, probably not. I mean, these people are in love with the crazy, and I think the base wants that. They're looking for it. Now, now it doesn't mean that it's wild, bombastic Trump crazy, because, you know, we've got several versions of crazy uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the crowd um, that are not that. But Kasich was trying to, to carve out a niche for himself that I call the huntsman niche, which is, you know, I'm the sane person, these people are all crazy, and we know how that went. Uh, yes. uh, so, you know, I'm not sure that's a really great strategy yeah. at the moment. I was going to say that, you know, it was like a, a one-on-one lesson in rhetoric. Like, if you're calling someone crazy, you have to seem <laughs> utterly the opposite of crazy. <laughs> exactly. And, and I think Huntsman had a better uh, handle on that, and yeah. even that didn't work. John yeah. Huntsman, of course, the former governor of Utah, who uh, was supposed to be the adult, supposed to be the not-crazy one back in 2012. And just the fact that I had to point out who he is... <laughs> Probably underscores how well uh, how well things went for him back in in 2012. Uh, I I did notice that uh, Trump may have been concerned about Kasich's line of attack because Trump was really he didn't go after a lot of folks last night, but he did go after. Uh, John Kasich, I think he was concerned about Kasich's attack. He said, oh, Kasich thinks things went well in in uh, in Ohio, but it was really because he got lucky with fracking. He's sinking in the polls. That's why he's way down there at the end. <laughs> so Trump was ready to go at him. All right, listen, uh, let me take a quick break, and we're going to uh, come back um, with actually uh, a good point. And I hate to say this, but kind of a good point that Donald Trump uh, made at uh, at the debate what? last night. Yeah, I know, at the debate <laughs> in Boulder last night. Um, <laughs> we'll come back with that and more with my guests, uh, Heather Digby-Parton and John Tomasic in Colorado. This is the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Everybody is talking at me. I don't hear words to saying Only the echoes of my mind Welcome back. It's the Bradcast uh, special CNBC GOP debate in uh, Boulder, Colorado. Special coverage. We are uh, coming into our last segment here with uh, Heather Digby-Parton of Salon and John Tomasic of the Colorado Statesman. That was just a sample of the what do we call it desi doyen uh nightmare craziness insanity that went on last night oh i think all of those count and work uh, yeah noise sturm and drong that went on at this debate it Uh, was very dramatic and emotional john uh john tomasic uh before we get back to some of this debate proper uh you had uh, written uh, over at the colorado statesman i know you were at the debate last night but you were also uh covering the Latino activists, both uh, from the left and the right, who have kind of had enough of what's going on in this Republican Party. Uh, Tell me about there are actually conservative uh, Latinos out there who are trying to wrestle the party back to reality. 
I, I don't get it at this point. Explain this to me. W- what are they trying to accomplish in their uh, condemnations of Republicans? Well, I think, you know, I, I had the same kind of thoughts mm-hmm. when I was going into this uh, to interview them. And they, they uh, people, it was about t- two dozen, it was about 24 conservative Hispanic people who have been, you know, figures in the Bush administration mm-hmm. and so on. And um, they've held different positions, and they're kind of the outreach vanguard for the for the GOP into the Latino communities. And most of them have been around a while, so they remember when it wasn't so lopsided that, you know, the Democrats just had a lock on the Latino vote. And for them... They want to bring the party back, and they also want comprehensive immigration reform. And they say, look, we think if you elect Hillary, if the American people elect Hillary, we won't get reform, and we won't get a conservative uh, social policy and a conservative economic policy that we believe in and that we think is good for Latinos. And that's because they won't get they won't get reform because Republicans are going to disagree with the Democrats because they are Democrats the way they did with Obama. And they think that if there's a Republican, there is a better likelihood that they'll actually get immigration reform. Is that what they're thinking? Exactly. Exactly. And they say, you know, Hillary is such a polarizing character. She's already said she'll use executive orders and that will simply alienate the House. And nothing will happen. So voting for Hillary is a vote against comprehensive reform. That's kind of an interesting and, argument. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Up. Um, and so uh, the other thing was that they just, they believe that um, that Trump is of a different order and that this has been coming for a while and they've been warning and now he's here and it just skews the whole debate and pulls all the other candidates over into this uh, this bad immigration you know, uh, scapegoating and demonizing. And they just won't have it. They were fed up and they said, you know, we will not support his candidacy under any situation. And one of the women who was the treasurer under her name was Rosario Marine. And she said, she wouldn't even say Trump's name. She goes, he's just a wannabe politician. You all know who I'm talking about. I will not say his name. And yet they still, and yet they still won't go back. Uh, they still won't leave the Republican Party. They're still trying to save it. Good no, luck. Yeah. Good luck with that. Uh, let me get to another uh, clip here. And actually, uh, tr- Trump, Donald Trump, speaking of Trump, who is completely self-financed or at least claims to be, warns, warned uh, last night that uh, super PACs, super PACs, dark money, I guess, billionaires in the uh, political system are are killing us. Super PACs are a disaster. They're a scam. They cause dishonesty. And you better get rid of them because they are causing a lot of bad decisions to be made by some very good people. And if anything comes out of this whole thing with some of these nasty and ridiculous questions, I will tell you, you better get rid of the super PACs because they're causing a big problem with this country. Not only in dishonesty and what's going on, but also in a lot of bad decisions that are being made for the benefit of lobbyists and special interests. Let me uh, let me serve up that nice uh, softball to you, Heather uh, Digby Barton. Uh, well, actually, go ahead. The self-financed billionaire says uh, we need to get uh, super PACs out of the system. Your thoughts? I know, I know. You know, it's like you, you think that, that would ha- there would be some dissonance in people's minds when mm-hmm. they hear that coming from him. 
But the truth is he's not the first one to do this. I mean, you know, there's a strain in American politics that's always been this sort of, you know, a, a, a rich guy saying, I know what goes on behind the scenes and I'm here to tell you the truth and it's really bad and it's very corrupt and I'm the guy who I, I'm above it. Um, and it, particularly I'm thinking of Ross Perot, which wasn't that long ago. That was his argument. You know, all the Gucci-clad, lo- you know, Gucci loafer-clad lobbyists mm-hmm. there in, in D.C. and how he was, you know, different. And, of course, I mean, it turned, he made most of his money on gov- government contracts, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, certainly Trump has, and he admits that he has, you know, spent plenty of money um, on lobbying himself uh, in whatever government he needs to, because that's how business is done. In one breath, he defends it as saying, I'm a businessman and I know how to get things done. And in another, he's condemning the super PAC. So, you know, I think I, I think it's interesting that he is taking that tack. I think it's interesting that he's activating that strain, which I think runs through both parties, um, that kind of mistrust of this of this big money influence in politics. Um, of course, it's it, you know, I mean, Republicans doing it is kind of a joke. Uh, it's you know, well, at least Perot had the had the integrity to run as a third party. I well, mean, not just Republicans doing it, but a guy who is a billionaire who can say, "Hey, don't take all of that money from super PACs. Just become a billionaire yourself, well, and run yourself." Problem uh, solved. That's the American yeah. dream. Yeah. I mean, yeah. isn't that the American dream? We're all going to be billionaires, and then we'll we can all run for office on our own dime, and then you know, right. then we won't have any more problems. Let, <laughs> let me get to uh, Chris. Let me get to Chris Christie and Mike Huckabee here, sort of having it out on Social Security. Uh, though Medicaid, I don't think, ever came up, despite all of the sturm und drang about Obamacare and the uh, Medicaid states. I don't think it ever came up. But uh, Social Security did, uh, and there's actually quite a bit of difference here within the GOP, at least within the candidates, on, uh, on Social Security. The government has lied to you, and they have stolen from you. They told you that your Social Security money is in a trust fund. All that's in that trust fund is a pile of IOUs for money they've spent on something else a long time ago. And they've stolen from you because now they know they cannot pay these benefits because Social Security is going to be insolvent in seven to eight years. If somebody's already stolen money from you, you going to give them more? <laughs> or are you going to deal with the problem by saying, I'm going to give people who have done well in this country less benefits on the back end? Yes, we've stolen. Yes, we've lied to the American people about Social Security and Medicare. But you know what we're not telling them? It's their money. This isn't the government's money. This is not entitlement. It's not welfare. This is money that people had confiscated out of their paychecks. But let me tell you who not to blame. Let's quit blaming the people on Social Security. Let's quit making it a problem for them. This is a, a matter not of math. This is a matter of morality. If this country does not keep its promise to seniors, then what promise can this country hope to be trusted to keep? And the fact is, none of them. The only way, the only way we're going to be moral, the only way we're going to keep our promise to seniors is start by following the first rule we should all follow, which is to look at them, treat them like adults, and tell them the truth. It isn't their men anymore, Mike. They stole it. It got stolen from them. It's not theirs anymore. The government stole it and spent it a long time ago. So let's stop fooling around about this. Let's tell people the truth and stop trying to give them some kind of fantasy that's never going to come true. That was uh, Chris Christie and Mike Huckabee having it out on Social Security. John Tomasic in Colorado, where you are, does that argument that uh, 
that, uh, you know, paying taxes uh, and putting money into Social Security is like uh, stealing, is like having your money stolen. Does that actually still work in Colorado? And by the way, is Colorado still really a swing state? Well, it's a swing state every mid. It swings every midterm election. It's a Republican election, and every general election, it's a Democrat election. Right, and a pre- uh, well, every presidential election, it's gone for Democrats yeah. for a long time now. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, Obama, the Obama era, really, really changed it. But uh, let's talk about Social Security. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to distract you with that. Uh, Social Security does, does that does that argument uh, really work? Do do really do people really still think that? Uh, Paying taxes, Social Security, it's all a scam, it's all a Ponzi scheme. Vote Republicans and they'll save us? No way. You know, in a word, no. I remember talking to Tea Party people and uh, they wouldn't even go for that. No. Uh, no Heather, uh, keep your uh, government hands off my Social Security, <laughs> as uh, Huckabee seemed to be saying. I think I think Huckabee has got the 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 right side of this for the Republican Party. I mean, look, there all you've got to do is look at the electorate and mm-hmm. see that when you know this this party now is highly dependent on older people, and they tend to be the most vociferous defenders of Social Security for obvious reasons. <laughs> and it is a very strange thing to me to see Republicans still taking that line. Now, it's not unusual. I mean, as you've mentioned, you know, this is an old story. They've been saying this for decades since right. Social Security came came into into being, and it's always been their line. It's gone broke, they've stolen the money, and that's the problem. They've been saying this for decades, I, and I, I tweeted it last night. Yeah, I didn't think Social Security was going to be there when I got old, older either, and here I am on the cusp of it, and it's still going, <laughs> and it's, this is exactly what happens to every generation. You think, everybody's telling you it's not going to be there, and then it turns out that it is, and that's, you know, obviously we all know here who are listening and, and talking amongst ourselves that Social Security is a, you know, is not some pile of money in, in a, in in a vault someplace that we put and wait until we, we get old enough and get it, and they stole it from us. They came right. in and, and and took the money. It you know it doesn't work that way. This is a, a you know it's a it's a system where every generation pays for their parents' social security, and I paid for mine, and now you know kids mm-hmm. are going to pay for me, and that's how it works, and that's the compact we have among our generations, and it's worked out fine, and it will continue to, and I think their scam has finally perhaps been revealed, well, and it's not going to be that easy to make that argument anymore. Well, yeah, and yet Chris Christie uh, uh, pro- declaring social security will be insolvent. <laughs> In seven years. All right, we got just a minute or two left. Uh, we didn't play anything from the kitty debate, uh, so let me uh, very quickly play. Uh, this kind of uh, blew my mind. Uh, Governor Bobby Jindal. Oh boy, was he working hard uh, to try to get uh, <laughs> folks' attention during that kitty debate. Here was a comment. Uh, he was asked about paid family leave, guaranteed paid maternity leave, and the fact that U.S. is the only. A civilized country who does not offer that to their citizens. The U.S. is the only developed nation in the world not to have guaranteed paid maternity leave for new moms. Should the government work to change that? Look, I think the government should work to change that, but that does does not mean I'm for the government mandating that. We already have too many government mandates out of D.C. Do I want people to have paid leave? Sure. Do I want people to earn higher wages? Sure. Do I want them to have better benefits? Sure. The government can't wave a magic wand and make that happen. Uh, actually, (laughs) 
Am I wrong? Heather, uh, government actually is the only one who can wave such a magic wand and make that happen and simply declare, yes, uh, you must have a paid maternity leave. It's really pretty much that easy if they want to do it. They can just say, that's what a mandate is. It's, I guess maybe we should start calling that. It's not a mandate. It's a magic wand that makes things happen. Unbelievable. Uh, okay, I've got to get out of, uh, so really very quickly here, 30 seconds to both of you. Uh, John Tomasic, uh, any any changes? Do, do you expect any changes to come from what happened yesterday uh, at the debate, or are we simply going to see this now for another 20 or 25 more debates with most of these same characters staying in until the bitter end? I, you know, uh, I think because the next debate is like two weeks away or something, mm-hmm. that it won't change that much between now and then, if at all. But um, surely, I don't know how, how long can Kasich, with it. And, I, it, I, and is Boulder back to normal uh, now? Has everybody uh, left the, the national media? There's some PTSD happening, I think. But, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're settling down. Heather, your, your thoughts uh, on the way out here? Any change? Well, I, I agree. I don't think it, it, it's unlikely to change in the next two weeks, but I really came away from that thinking that Jeb is not long for this race. Uh, I, I suppose that, I mean, maybe the family honor requires him to stay in through Iowa and New Hampshire. I don't know, but boy, it's hard to see him him bouncing back from that. Well, you know what? And, and I agree with you. That said, uh, even though it's annoying, even though it's obnoxious, even though these debates may not uh, shed any light on almost anything, I'd rather have people wait until the voters actually cast their votes before they start uh, fleeing instead of deciding everything based on uh, you know, public opinion uh, polls and amount of money that is collected. Let the voters vote. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with that, even though I might be annoyed by it. Uh, let, let my thanks to uh, Heather Digby-Parton. Check out her fantastic work, as always, over at Salon.com and Digby'sBlog.Blogspot.com. And thanks to John Tomasic of the Colorado Statesman. You can find his work over at Colorado Statesman. Statesman.com. Thanks to both of you. Thank you, Brad. Thanks for having me. My thanks also to our producer, Desi Doyen, today to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn. Uh, if you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it and all of the Bradcasts over at bradblog.com or over at iTunes. If you have any thoughts on the program, good, bad, or otherwise, drop me an email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com or stop by Facebook or Twitter where you can find me as The Brad Blog. All right, I think that's it. Once again, my thanks to Heather Digby-Parton and John Tomasic. We will see you again soon right here. Uh, I think that's it. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Everybody.